I'm deeply honored to have been asked to share. Uh, Brother David called me about 1240 yesterday and said that he was under the weather. I appreciate the prayer that's already gone up for him and uh, ask you to continue to lift him in prayer. And let's hold him before God until he's totally, completely well and back on the job and doing better than ever before. And uh, it's good to see you. I uh, really had to rush to get something prepared for this morning, and I hope that it's going to be all right. I'm going to speak to you what I trust to be words of encouragement. And uh, I trust by the grace of God that he will let me be the agent through which he speaks today and that you will hear what he says. I want to speak his mind. I want to let his, my voice be his voice, and I'm going to do my best to do that. I uh, want you to do something with me before we get started, and uh, you don't have to stand to do this, but I do want you to stand up inside, and I want you to say this with your heart. I want you to say, Father, we acknowledge you. You're in this place. You're our Lord. You're our God. We give you praise, honor, and glory. We thank you today that you love each one of us. You esteem us highly. You have something for us. You want us to receive it that we might be to your honor and your glory in the earth. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, if you will turn with me in your scripture, in your Bibles, I want to read a couple of scriptures, and I'm going to just take my time, and I'm going to preach very slow today. So, uh, well, I don't know whether I am or not. Sometimes I I think I'm going to, and I wind up speeding up. So either hear slow or hear fast, whichever way I go, you go that way too. In John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 7, and I'm going to be reading this from the New King James Version. So it'll be similar to the King James and similar to some of the others because it's a kind of a good amalgamation. And there are two sentences in this verse of Scripture. The first one is very solemn. It's very alarming. And it's very challenging. And the second one is just the opposite. It's very encouraging, very strengthening, and very blessing. And so I want to just read it. He says in John 10, 7, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. How many of you know there is a thief? How many of you know that he's on the job? He's on the prowl. He walks in and he lives in darkness. He sneaks around, he does everything he possibly can to not let you know that he's there, but he is very much there. I don't say that for you to be alarmed, but I want you to understand that you need to be alert. So he comes to steal your joy, to kill your ambitions, to destroy your life. He does not like you because you like God. He is wanting to destroy you. But then that second sentence, man, this one blesses me. The Lord speaks. Jesus says, I have come that they, those whom Satan tries to steal, to kill, and destroy, I have come that they may have life. 
And that word life is zoe. It's the God kind of life. It's the very life of God himself. It is the essence of God's being. God says, I've come to put of myself in you. You are partakers of my divine nature. And I want you to let this resonate in you. I want it to get deep inside of you. You have something awesome, special, beyond description that he puts inside of you the moment that you receive him into your heart and in your life. So he says, I've come that they may have my life and that they may have it more abundantly. Not just have the life that I have, but have it in its fullness. That word uh, more abundantly means have an ongoing, increasing understanding of that life and increasing appropriation of that life, and most of all, an increasing application of that life. How many of you know that when you understand what you have and you appropriate it, then you're able by the grace of God to make an application of it that's effective and efficient in the world. And so Jesus is saying, this is what I want you to understand. Now let's look at Romans chapter 8. And we're going to read verses 32 through 36. And I'm going to be reading this from the New International Version. He says, He who did not spare his own son, we know that he's talking about God, did not spare his son. The Bible says that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. So he who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him? Now, let me, explain, let me just stop for a moment. How will, he, how will he not, along with him, the gift that he's given us, graciously give us all things? So he's saying he's given us his son, and in his son he has given us all things. You have everything that is in Christ Jesus. You have everything that God has put in his son. Now, I know you were supposed to shout there, but you didn't know it. So I'll forget it this time, all right? Since who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? How many of you know that you were chosen by God? Once upon a time when there was no time in a place called nowhere where there was nothing, there was a meeting. And God the Father was in that meeting, God the Son was in that meeting, and God the Holy Ghost was in that meeting, keeping the minutes of the meeting, and you were in that meeting in the heart of the Father. And so you were chosen in Him. He chose you even before you ever existed in this earth. And He says, it is God who justifies. God chose you, and when you responded to him, he justified you. He put you before him just as if you'd never sinned or never failed in any area or any way. So who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, he was raised to life. He didn't just die. Glory to God, that wasn't the end of the story. That was just the first step in something greater. He rose again. 
So he arose from uh, death into life. And he is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. You need to just stop and think about it. Right this very moment, God's Son, Jesus the Christ, is seated at the right hand of the Father and he's interceding for me right now. You ought to think that. He's interceding for me now. Glory to God. I am represented before the throne of God. I'm represented in Jesus Christ who is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And Jesus is saying, Father, I want you to have mercy. I want you to give good and grace to this person or that person. He gives your name. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but that makes me want to shout. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? How many of you know that we all face those things? We all have to deal with those things. Those things are real. But how many of you know that they don't have to separate us from Jesus Christ? How many of you know those things are there, but they don't have any authority or power unless we give it to them? So he says, nay, in all these things... In trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword, in all these things, we are overwhelming conquerors through him who loved us. Hallelujah. Now, you ought to be saying this about yourself on a regular basis. That's who I am. That's what I have. That's what I can do. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Now, we might as well face it, all believers struggle a little bit at times with over a variety of different issues, and those things are designed to bring discouragement, disenchantment, and a sense of hopelessness in certain areas of your life. We know we've got that enemy. That thief comes. He prowls around all the time. And, and many of us have battled certain weaknesses or areas in our life that we feel like we've got a character flaw or we've got some kind of an emotional issue or we've got some persistent scar that won't leave us alone. It just keeps coming up. And it's just something that uh, Satan uses to try to make us feel like that we've got to contend with this the rest of our lives. Might as well face it. It's got, it's, and, and the whole thing is, is God's way of keeping me humble and, and keeping me dependent on him. How many of you know that is a malicious lie? That is not the truth. And when you take that perspective, I want you to understand, it leaves you feeling like you can never live up to what God expects of you. You can never live up to the potential that is in you. You can never have all that God says that he's put in you in Jesus Christ. And so you just go around and you wonder what in the world is going to happen next. That's the whole point of Satan. That's the thief coming to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, the main basis, however, for our allowing that to happen or for that getting a hold on us is, strangely enough, not sin or circumstances. It is a perspective that we have of ourselves. It's an identity problem. It's how we identify ourselves. It's an identity crisis. Glory to God. I want you to understand that those things, hardships, difficulties, all those things we mentioned earlier, they are designed by Satan 
to erode our self-image and our self-esteem, and they put a core belief system about ourselves inside of us that is distinct from and different from what God sees and what God says. And we've got to understand that. And so, because that is true, we find ourselves wondering what in the world is going on. We know that we're saved. We know that we're going to go to heaven. But for some reason, we get this idea that maybe someday, maybe someday in the sweet by and by, when we all get to heaven, God's going to make it up to us. Until then, we've just got to suffer and bear it. Well, let me tell you, that's mistaken identity, folks. I want you to understand that that comes out of unbelief. I'm going to jump ahead of myself and just go ahead and say it. The major sin of most Christians is not some act or some attitude. It is unbelief. We do not believe that we are who God says we are. We do not believe that Jesus is in us who he says he is. And Satan will pound you and pound you and pound you with that until you believe it. And then you get this misconception of yourself. Identity is made up of three major components. It's made up of mind, heart, and revelation. In your mind, every thought that you've ever processed is used by Satan. In your heart, everything, every deed that you've ever done, Satan uses it. He bling, brings those two together, blends them, and they form a revelation. You get the revelation of who you are by blending your thoughts and your deeds together. And so we get this identity thing. This is who I am. This is what I'm like. So this intertwining of the two, our, our thoughts and our deeds, produces this picture, this revelation of who we deem ourselves to be. Our self-perceived core person. We see that. Now, Whatever you see when you blend all those things together, if it is not in keeping with the Word of God, if it is not in line with God's perspective of you, then it is wrong. It is wrong. And you need to change it. You need to do something about it. If you allow that thing to continue as it is, it will impede, it will hinder, it will stifle, it will suffocate your effectiveness, your efficiency, and your productivity as a son and daughter of the Most High God. And you will not live up to or live out the life that God has given you and put inside of you through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the sad thing is that many, many, many Christians live in that impeded, crippled, 
mindset for, throughout their lives. Until we can see clearly, until we get a hold of it down deep inside of us, that Jesus Christ has already dealt with that and already conquered that and already abolished that, we will continue to fight a battle that we don't need to fight. We'll fight from a perspective we don't need to fight. How many of you understand that all of those things from God's perspective are non-realities? Think about that for a minute. From God's perspective, that is not real. That is not a reality. God's perspective of you is son of God, daughter of the Most High, prince and king and lord in this earth over circumstances, situations, and problems. That's God's perspective. And if you have any other perspective you are clinging to, you are absolutely connected with, and it's controlling you, and that's a non-reality from God's perspective. I've been there. I know what I'm talking about. I have allowed non-realities to rule my life for times and seasons and places and situations. It's absolutely ridiculous. Glory be to God. So when we see and understand who we are, when we grasp, when we reach out with our spirit man and lay hold of the truth, the reality of God's divine provision and God's divine uh, evaluation of ourselves, just like a junkyard bulldog that gets a bite and won't turn loose. When we get a hold of it like that, glory to God, we come to recognize that we are loved of God, that we are valued by God, that we are powerful in God, that we are more than conquerors in God, that we are victors in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of those stupid non-reality strongholds. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Now, I'm telling you right now, the true basis for the weakness of the flesh is these misconceptions and these wrong concepts and ideas. But we need to get a hold of it. I want to just say it again, that we are valuable to God. We are powerful to God, and we are destined for purpose with God. Hallelujah. Every one of us. I'm not preaching to preachers. I'm preaching to people. I'm not preaching to people who hold titles. I'm preaching to people. You and me. Doesn't make any difference whether you're a preacher or whether you're a peon. It makes no difference whatsoever with God. If you've received Jesus Christ, this is how he sees you. This is what he wants for you. This is what is decreed. This is what is declared. And this is what we need to lay hold on and grab glory to God and say, I'm not turning loose. I'm going to do and be and see the reality of what I'm here for. Hallelujah. Glory to God. During the times of the judges, a period of about nearly 300 years, might have been a few more, a few less, 300 years, the nation of Israel was constantly up and down. They were victorious for a few years, and then they were in bondage and in slavery for many years. Over and over, I forgot how many times now, uh, in, that, in the book of Judges, this happened. 
There was one particular time, a seven-year period of time, when they were under the enslavement of a cruel and wicked nation called the Midianites. And the word Midianite means strife. I mean, man, they were just stirring all kinds of strife all the time. And, and the thing about it, this harassment was so intense and it was so severe that the Israelites lived in stark terror and dread of, of these Midianites. They didn't even want to go out in the open around them. But here is the paradox. Here is the thing that I want you to see. Just a few years before this, God had told them in no uncertain terms that I'm going to make you a nation of priests and I'm going to put terror in your enemies. You're going to be terrorizing your enemies. Wherever you go, I'm going to be so with you that folks will see you coming and they will tremble and shake in their boots because men like God are coming. And instead of that, here you are, not terrorizing your enemies, but being terrorized by your enemies, and you think that's the way it's got to be. Glory to God. I don't know about you, but I want to get on the other side of that equation. I want to get there quick. I'm telling you. And all during this time, God was constantly saying through the prophets and through others, do not fear, do not be afraid. I am with you, says the Lord. I'll be with you going out and coming in. When you go out to face your enemies, I'll raise up a standard against them. Glory to God. Do not fear, do not be afraid. And yet here they were doing exactly what he told them not to do. Wow. Every year the Midianites would come down at harvest time, take their harvest take most of their livestock, leave them broke, leave them uh, defenseless, leave them starving and in, almost into death. And the rest of the year they'd stand off and mock and ridicule them because they were such easy prey. How many of you understand that so many Christians live their lives in this up and down, in and out, over and over again way of life? Winning a few, losing a few. Feeling most of the time that they are disenfranchised from the better covenant. And it's all a lie. If you're a child of God, you are not disenfranchised. You are divinely connected. Hallelujah. I'm going to run through a troop and jump over a wall in a minute. I'm going to tell you. You are divinely connected. You have the life of God. I have come that they might have life. And that more abundantly. Glory to God. I'm telling you. But in the worst of times, there in, in the nation of Israel during this time, there was a man in their midst his name was Gideon. It means to cut to pieces or to hack to pieces. And yet here he was hiding away in fear, beating out a little grain, trying to get some food for his family. And he's doing this one day, and another person shows up. Man, this person is called the angel of the Lord. 
Now, that's the term in the Old Testament, in the Old Bible, actually for a theophany, the presencing of Jesus himself. I honestly believe that it was Jesus himself. And he came down and he saw this man working and slaving and hiding and fear. And he looks at him and I don't know whether... Gideon was aware of his presence until he spoke, but he just spoke to him and he said, The Lord is with thee, O mighty man of valor. Who, me? Who, who are you talking to? <laughs> me. The Lord is with thee, O mighty man of valor. Wow. I'm telling you right now. Guess what happened? Immediately, the mighty man of valor cowers. He backs off whining and complaining and giving all kinds of excuses, putting himself down, looking at the whole situation through his natural eyes, saying everything is so bad. But here's what I want you to notice. That was the state of mind he was in when the angel of the Lord appeared. The angel of the Lord did not look at him and see him as he saw himself. The angel of the Lord looked at him and he addressed him not according to his mistaken identity. He addressed him according to how God had made him to be. You'll get that in a minute. God has made you to be more than you think you are. Than you see yourself to be. And God will never address your mistaken identity. God will never call you what you would call yourself apart from God. God will never deal with you like that. God doesn't come to you and say, you poor little weak thing. Oh, bless your little pee-picking heart. Um, look. God is too much of a gentleman to lie. He doesn't see you that way, so he doesn't speak to you that way. He speaks to you like he sees you. He sees you as a mighty man of valor, and he says, Hail, mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you. Glory to God. Do you know one of the things that most people need to hear in their heart right now is that voice, the Lord is with me. The Lord is in me. I am a mighty man or woman of valor. Not because of anything that I've done, but because of whose I am. Because of who lives inside of me. Because of who owns me. Glory to God. Because of in whose arms I'm walking and resting. I'm a mighty man, woman of valor. Hallelujah. I am an overcomer. I'm a conqueror. I'm more than enough. Glory to God. For every circumstance and situation. And I'll stand by God's grace and mercy. No matter what happens. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. I can tell you this. God ever speaks to you, He's going to be speaking to you like one of His own. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Gideon still didn't get it. He starts speaking about his poverty and his lack of provisions of his being the youngest in the family and the family being the least among the tribes and 
How human, how carnal can we be sometimes? It's true. Next to God, you probably know yourself about as good as anybody does. But you ought to get your picture of yourself from God, not your natural emotions. Hallelujah. So, with all of his whining, his complaining, and his excuses, the angel of the Lord was not moved, not one iota. <laughs> Folks, you're not going to impress God by beating yourself up and putting yourself down. God didn't create you to be beaten up and put down. He created you to rule and reign. And he's not going to be impressed with you saying, I can't rule and I can't reign. And I can't do this and I can't do that. And everything I do fails. And it just, I'm, I'm going nowhere and got nothing to go with and all that kind of stuff, you know. I was listening to a song the other day. It says, I left my home in Georgia and headed for the Frisco Bay. I had nothing to live for. looked like nothing going my way. I thought, you don't know God. <laughs> You need to know Jesus. Hallelujah. Yes. Glory to God. Yes. I tell you, praise the Lord. So in spite of the fact that Gideon did not know who he was, God did. So even if you're out there and you're feeling like I've been talking about, you don't know who you are, but God does. Hallelujah. And God's not going to agree with your misconception of yourself. He's just going to talk you into accepting who he says you are. Hallelujah. So the angel of the Lord appeared to him and he said, Hail thou mighty man of valor. The Lord is with thee. Glory to God. I'll tell you. So, God just kept on. Or the angel just kept on talking to him about who he was. Finally, he convinced this man that, you know, maybe I'm a little better off than I thought I was. And so we see over a period of time that Gideon begins to change. Please note that God sees you as a powerful, virtuous, more than able person. And he's not going to change his perspective about you. Now, last night when I was going through all this and planning it, about the time I got here, I saw this picture. Everybody was up shouting and raising and running around. And, Lord, that was just me. <laughs> no, Gloria, I don't really want you to do that. I'd rather you sit and listen and hear. But here's what I want you to understand. It is never considered humility. When you see yourself and talk to yourself lower than God sees you. Now you better get a hold of that. You come for God. God, I'm a unworthy old worm. I, 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 I'm not anybody. I don't have anything to offer God. That is not humility. That's stupidity. It's basically ignorance gone to seed. Now, if that makes you mad, I'm glad because you'll think. You see, 
You might think wrong, but you'll think. And you'll think. And I'm not trying to offend you. I'm trying to encourage you and to help you. So it's never, never humility to see ourselves lower than God sees us. It's unbelief. It's defiance. It's rebellion. It is an insult to God. If God is God and God says a thing and you're involved, you need to line up with what God says. Because if you don't, it's unbelief. And unbelief is sin. Hey, glory be to God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost right now. I'm good mind to do what they do in Chile. In a big church down there, about 25,000 people. About halfway through the sermon, every time the pastor will back off and all the congregation will stand and they'll give praise to the Father and praise to the Son and praise to the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. And they'll do that for four or five minutes and then he'll sit down and he'll finish his sermon. Uh, yeah, I've got one or two wanting to do it. but <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. You don't really have to do that, but glory to God. Thank the Lord. Praise God. Let, let me, let me share, share something that Paul wrote. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, Paul wrote to his dear son, Timothy, who was kind of in the mully grubs and feeling a little low, struggling with his identity. And Paul just wrote to him and he said, Stir up the gift of God that is in you by the laying on of hands. Yes. Now, in other ways, I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame. The gift, the spiritual endowment, the qualifying grace, the miraculous faculty of God that has been put in you through the new birth. Stir it up. Burn, turn it into flames. Get it to blazing. Glory to God. Create some steam. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I'm telling you. He was saying, don't let the fire go out in your life. Don't allow the lying vanities to siphon off what God has put inside of you. Don't allow your inner man to go around seeing himself other than the way God sees him. Stir that gift up into full life and potential again and again and again. You know what the gift was that God put in you? It was the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Man, that's what God put inside of you. Debbie, the minute you received Jesus, Jesus just said, Phew, and dropped the spirit of the life of Jesus, or God dropped the spirit of life of Jesus in you. How many of you can see Jesus walking around? Well, I don't know what's going to happen. Things aren't going good today. Matter of fact, I think it's getting worse all the time. I'm telling you right now. Who would want a Jesus like that? Who would want to serve a God like that? Who would say, come over to our church. We want you to meet our Jesus. <laughs> Glory to God. Mm -mm -mm. He says, I want you to stir up that gift of God. That life of the spirit of, or spirit of the life of Christ that is inside of you. See, when we put that into flame, all of a sudden... We realize that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Now, let me make something clear to you. There is a yoke and there is a burden. And you can make it hard or you can make it easy. 
If you know who you are and you stir up the life of Jesus inside of you, the yoke is easy and the burden is light. If you don't know who you are and you try to deal with it in your flesh, it's going to be burdensome and heavy and almost impossible. So he says, look, just stir up that flame. Keep it going. Hallelujah. He goes on down in verse 12 of that same chapter. And he says, Timothy, I continually face the very same things you're facing. And when you're letting them get you down, I refuse to be put to shame because I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded, thoroughly convinced to the point of full obedience that he is able to safeguard, protect, and maintain everything that he's put in me and that I have committed to him until the day of Jesus. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So we've got a choice. What Paul is saying in the day of temptation or oppression, when we feel overwhelmed and helpless in the face of some human difficulty or some outside pressure that just keeps going, Jesus just speaks to us about our true destiny and our true identity. And he says, mighty man of valor, go ahead. Do your job. Hallelujah. I tell you right now. He calls us. He confirms us. And he affirms to us. That we have been made to be heirs. And joint heirs. Together. With Christ. Amen. Amen. I. I know that most of you have some kind of an idea of what an heir is. It's a person who receives from another, usually a parent or grandparent, or in some cases a benefactor, who receives everything that they have gratis. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You just receive it. And he says... You've been made to be heirs and joint heirs with Christ. Now, in the original, that's much, much more blessed than it sounds. You have been made to be heirs just like Christ. Joint heirs with him. You share identical reception from me. You get the same thing Jesus gets. I know that sounds absolutely mind-blowing. You want to just say, no, that can't be. You know what you, what's making you say that? I don't see myself as Jesus sees me. I don't see myself like that. It's not what you see yourself like. It's what God says about you. Glory to God. God sees you that way. And he sees you as an heir. And a joint or equal heir with his son. Mm -mm -mm. I'm still thinking about running through the troop and leaping over the wall here. I'm telling you. The whole purpose of Christ in you, the hope of glory, is just to keep us reminded of what God has made us to be. You remember the woman in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 11, taken in adultery? And they brought her to the scribes and the Pharisees and all this. And they were bringing out the stones to kill her and whatever. And Jesus, 
Jesus walks up, or they bring him up to Jesus, and Jesus looks at them and he says, which of you is without sin? You throw the first stone. Well, all these accusers get completely wiped out, you know. They're gone. And then Jesus looks at her. He says, where are your accusers? And she says, I, I don't have any. They're gone. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn thee. Now, look, I know you're going to think he's being soft on sin. No, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Jesus says, neither do I condemn thee. And then he says something. The Lord is with thee, thou mighty woman of valor. He doesn't say those words, but that's the essence of what he's saying. He says, go therefore and sin no more. Now let me paraphrase it. Go therefore in this newly perceived identity. In this fresh view of who you are. In this new perspective of your being. You are a covenant daughter of God the Father. You are one with the family of God. Now you go in that perception and sin no more. Now let's make it easy. When you perceive who you are, you get a grasp, an understanding of what God has made you to be in Jesus Christ. You don't cow to sin. You don't give place to sin. You don't go around sinning. You go around righteousing. I made up a good word there. You go around being righteous, doing righteous, acting righteous, looking righteous, smelling righteous. Glory to God. You go around acting like God. So he said, now go and act like who you are. That means you won't sin anymore. You won't fall into that same trap. You won't fall into those same uh, decep deceptions anymore. You're going to recognize them for what they are. You'll hate them and despise them. And you'll love God and you'll do what God wants you to do. Hallelujah. I'm telling you right now. Here, let me close. Oh, I've got 45 minutes. <laughs> Dog, man. I haven't done that in a long time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, I tell you right now. Carla, you knew I was going to preach long today, didn't you? All right, I think I'll email Brother David and tell him he can get up. He's well. <laughs> Hallelujah. But let me, let me just deal with this. Uh, where was I? Anyway, he said, I want you to leave. I don't see you anymore as an adulterous woman. I see your potential as a valued and beloved daughter of God. Now go and act that way. Now, I'm going to say this right here because I believe it fits in. You might want to, Pastor Eric, why in the world are you preaching this this morning? Well, yesterday when Brother David called me and I told him I would be honored to do it, I then turned to God and said, God, what do I share? And he brought something to me. One of the major reoccurring themes, messages of Pastor David since he's been here is, folks, it's time for us to get up and get out and go do. And he's been preaching that now for two years. Now, that's not, I'm not saying that in a negative way. 
that's the underlying message that he has in his heart to get us to go do something. And so I said, Lord, why are we not doing it? And that's when he brought to me because of mistaken identity. We don't know who we are. We don't value what we have. Therefore, we don't share it. You don't share things that you don't value with people. Chris, you value your salvation. You've got to share it with somebody. We've all got to come to where we value who God has made us to be so much that our hearts are grieved when we see people who are not sharing that. When we see people who don't know who they are, don't know what they have, don't know how to get into it. And so God says, we've got to find out who we are, come to appreciate it, and then we'll share it. Now, listen, as we look back on these stories of Gideon and this uh, adulterous woman, both of them had mistaken identities. And there are two foundational principles that I want us to look at. You know these things. I'm not telling you anything new. I'm telling you something you know, but I want you to know it fully. You know you can know a thing and not know it fully? I know my wife, but I sure don't know her fully. <laughs> she, she surprises me all the time. She comes up with stuff, and that's not a negative. Thank God she's got a lot more in her than, than I thought she had. You know, she comes up with new stuff all the time. So here's what we've got to do. We've got to know fully who we are. And here's what I want you to get. First of all, I want you to know inside of you that you are loved with an absolute perfect love from God the Father. Well, I don't know how God could love me. I just did this, or I just did that, or I didn't do this, or I didn't do that. It doesn't make any difference what you did or didn't do, have or don't have. It makes no difference what color you are, makes no difference what status you are, makes no difference what nation you come from. God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. And he highly prizes you. Now, I know I'd look at you and i say, that ain't much of a prize. But I don't see like God sees. God sees deeper than I can ever see. God sees inside of you. God sees what you were created to be. God sees what he's put in you in Jesus Christ. God sees your potential. God sees your life. And God highly prizes you. You are special in his eyes. Now, some of you just don't get that. God has got some of us so much in a prison of our own low self-esteem. It's time for us to stand up and say, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to be like that adulterous woman. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to recognize who I am in Christ, and I'm going out, and I'm not going to continue to fall victim and pray to all these lies and these hollow nothings of the devil. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. And the second thing is, God not only highly prizes you, I guess it's kind of the same thing, but He values you deeply and profoundly. 
You are special to God. Let me tell you how valuable you are. Jesus, the Son of the Most High God, gave His life for you. Don't assume that, well, I'm just one of the crowd He died for. No, you are the specific individual that He died for. You are the very one out of all the people in here. You are the select chosen one that Jesus died for. And he didn't just die for you. He died as you. So you never have to die. Glory to God. I mean, he rose from the grave for you, but he not only rose for you, he rose as you. So you have his life. The genuine, actual, real life of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost permeates and fulfills your whole being. Hallelujah. And so He loves you. He prizes you. And He values you. My gracious sakes in this world. I'm going to do something. We've got time. Now, I'm, I'm getting ready to test you. I want you to just turn to somebody. Stand up on your feet, if you can. If you can't, it's all right. I want you to turn to somebody, and I want you to say, I am loved of God, I'm prized of God, and I'm valuable to God. Go ahead. Now, go ahead and do it. Turn to somebody and say it. I don't care how much you think it's a lie. You go ahead and do it. It will be releasing. It will be freeing for you to do that. Hallelujah. Mm -mm -mm. Now, I know that one or two of you said, well, this time God is wrong. How many times has God ever been wrong? He's not going to make an exception for you, I can tell you that. Hallelujah. You can be seated. Let's see. Ralph, I've got about five more minutes. I'm going to give you and Mike the other 25 minutes. All right. <laughs> wow. Mm. So Paul says, because of this, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. You don't have to. You don't have to. And the way you get away around that is you offer yourselves to God. You offer yourself as one who has been brought from death to life. Yes. Kelly Jane, yes, Kelly May, I don't know your middle name. <laughs> Kelly Ann. Kelly Ann, you were close. <laughs> <laughs> Two years ago out at that park, you were brought from death to life. I'm talking about from death to life, brother. Hey, death to life. Everybody here who knows Jesus can say, I've been brought from death to life. I've been brought from eternal death to eternal life. I've been brought from death to abundant eternal life 
Do you know what that means? That means in eternity you will still go on having your eyes open and your understanding enlightened and you'll be learning and you'll be discovering and you'll be experiencing more and more and more and more of God all the time through eternity. Wow. I don't know about you folks. Mm, 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 mm. It's a matter of our discerning our new position, embracing it with an irrevocable faith. No matter what anybody says or what happens, you say, no, I am a loved, desired, valued child of God. Hallelujah. And I'm going to walk it out. Mm. It is true that as newborn babes, you may fall sometimes into some trap or some trick of the devil, some unsavory thing through ignorance. But as you grow up into Christ more and more, you will realize that I'm overcoming these hollow non-entities. In the book of Nehemiah, when he was building the walls, the walls of the city had been turned down. Now, Isaiah tells us that we have walls of salvation. How many of you some know that sometimes Christians get hit by a stray cannonball and it breaks a little piece of the wall out? But as Christians... We fix that immediately by doing something really, really difficult, Carla. Saying, Lord, I failed. Forgive me. Thank you. Amen. Amen. You know what you do when you do that? You rebuild your wall. You take that low spot and you build it back up. And it gets to the point after a while you learn how to build so it won't break anymore. It gets to the point where you can build so that, hey, those cannonballs just bounce off. Your wall is strong. It's stiff. It stays there. Hallelujah. Let me see how much more I got here. Praise God. I could go on for about, I won't tell you how long. <laughs> but you know, the biggest problem that we're really dealing with is so many people have been so duped that they believe that what I'm talking about is an unreachable ideal. But it really isn't. Because they believe that, they live this roller coaster life. Win a few, lose a few. It's a subtle and capricious lie that it merge, emerges out of our having never learned who we are and having studied to show ourselves approved of unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of God. But you are powerful in Jesus Christ. Grace truly, actually empowers you to walk in the light as he's in the light. Grace brings you into total alignment with the love nature of God. Grace puts you into a position of the character of holiness in the Lord. Grace is not God overlooking your weaknesses. 
Grace is God giving you the strength, the power, and the ability to defeat and overcome and annihilate your weaknesses. Hallelujah. So we're growing up into him. When Jacob was preparing to meet his brother Esau after many, many years. You remember Jacob had deceived his brother and stolen his birthright. And he went off and he stayed gone like 14, 18 years, some, a good long while. And he was coming to meet his brother Esau. He did not know whether Esau would kill him or what might happen. And so he called his right-hand man, his CEO of the, Jacob, the Jacob Company, or the Israel Company now, and he... Uh, says, take care of my wife and family. I'm going to meet Esau tomorrow. And he came out to meet him. But during the night before the meeting, he had a dream. And in the dream, he was wrestling with a man. And he could not prevail over the man, and the man did not prevail over him. And they wrestled through the night. And early the next morning, the man that he was wrestling with said, it's time for me to leave. And Jacob grabbed hold of him and said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Unless you impart to me something of real value. I don't know whether Jacob knew he was wrestling with Jesus or not. But he knew that there was something about this man he was wrestling with that was greater than he. And the man, whom again I believe possibly was Jesus, I won't say absolutely, but possibly was, reached over and touched the hollow of his thigh. And it was affected. And the rest of his life he walked with a limp. Let me tell you something. There is a relationship you can have with God. He will touch your life. And you'll never walk the same again. But let me look at this story just a little bit more and I'll close out. We find that He says, I'm not going to let you go. And the man, the angel, Jesus, whoever it was, said, what is your name? And he said, my name is Jacob. Now let me say in the Hebrew what he said. My name is liar. My name is deception. I'm a deceiver and a liar. That's how Jacob saw himself and the man said to him no longer shall you be a deceiver and a liar you're going to be Israel a prince a governor a ruler with God and he left with a changed nature and a changed name the moment that you met Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, whether it was in an altar, beside your bed, 
in the back seat of a car, wherever it might have been, in the moment that you met him as Lord and Savior, he said, your name shall no longer be failure, disappointment, pain, hurt, sorrow, grief. Your name shall be Son of God, Daughter of the Most High, Ruler, Governor, Overcomer, more than a conqueror. And he's not changed his mind about it. And you still are. You've just got to recognize it. You've got to accept it. You've got to believe it. And you've got to know. This day, I decree and I declare to every one of you who know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're no longer a failure. You're no longer a disappointment. You are now, by the glory of God, a prince, a princess, a ruler, a governor, with God the Almighty. And this day, I challenge you and I charge you, go forth therefore and deliver Israel from the Midianites. Glory be to God. Mike, give me just another minute. I want, to, I want to challenge you. If you've heard anything from God in this, I want you to reach out right now and take hold of it. You can stand up. You can sit where you are. But I want you to reach out and take hold of it. And I want you to say, Lord, forgive me for undervaluing your son and your work in my life. From this moment, by your grace, your love, and your help, I'm going to focus on being who you've made me to be, doing what you've given me the grace to do. And I give you honor and praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name, Amen and amen.